When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything's Black and White podcast with me, Aaron Stokes. I'm joined this afternoon by the Daily Mirror's Simon Bird. Anybody watching this live or listening later expecting to hear Andrew Musgrove, I'm sorry to say that he's off for the next two weeks as he goes to get married. Very, very selfish of him. Um, so I'll be taking over the hosting duties for the next two weeks. We've got absolutely plenty to talk about. Um, if you're listening or watching live on Facebook, Twitter or YouTube, please do give us a like and a follow and drop those comments in the comment section. We'll get through as many of them as we can. So, Simon, look, Newcastle United, it feels so weird, doesn't it, that all of a sudden they're just a very, very good team. Um, it looked like it was going to be hard work in the first half the other day, but they came through it with a very good second 45 minutes. What was, what did you make of it? How good are Newcastle United these days? Well, it's quite amazing considering where we were this time last year, 12 months ago, Steve Bruce was still in charge. Uh, there was a new owner, obviously, with a lot of optimism. But they had, they got, they had one win. I think they hadn't won at this time. They, they got a first yeah. win in December. And their second win, January the 22nd, I think, against Leeds. So, I think I calculated the other day that it was, I think they've got 24 points at the minute this season. It's not even November. Last year, it took them until February the 19th to get that same points total. So, the turnaround has been absolutely amazing. And... On the big picture stuff, it's just it's fantastic to cover the club at the minute because we've had so many kind of lean years and miserable years when you know you're criticizing people and criticizing owners and the fans are fed up and they you know not really bothering to read your stuff and it's really a str- it was a real struggle apart from that Pardew year when they finished fifth and it's been mm-hmm. you know it's been so enjoyable this year just to get first of all the positivity injected and that, that's come mainly from the crowd and you have to say that the crowd has played a huge part in what's going on at St James's Park um, and then the players responding just magnificently to what Eddie Howe's, Howe's tried to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, go on. Yeah. you've touched on it there, I mean, the, the home games now, you know, people are excited to go, there's that buzz back about the city that everyone talks about from years gone by and obviously Newcastle haven't tasted defeat at home at St James's Park. How, how do you feel that the home games have sort of impacted their start of the season. Well, I mean, it's like massive cliche, but it's become a fortress, and that's what you, if you've got to, if you're not going to lose at home, and you go you go to home games now thinking even if it's Man City, they're, they're not going to lose this, and they will probably win. I think in 2022, uh, since that cup game that they lost against Cambridge at St James's Park, I think they've only lost once to Liverpool in April last year, and they're undefeated this year. I think that's 16 games. With just one defeat at home, so the stats are proven are proven that it's you know it's a really difficult place to come now, and I think most most managers now that we ask that we question after the games are basically saying, well, we look at the crowd and we see the atmosphere here, and it's a big club and they're going places, and there's kind of a thing in the opposition's head already that Newcastle are going places and this is going to be tough, and a lot of them try to raise their game like Villa did on uh, the first half on Saturday. But ultimately, Newcastle are so relentless and the crowd are so onside. And it is like, a, it's another cliche, it is like a 12th man. And I think in, in past years, it's been a chore going to watch Newcastle and there hasn't been that atmosphere. And since war flags made 
like the build up and occasion and the music is blasting out and I think that it's it's got to lift you as an athlete as a, and as a player to to walk out to that um not just lift you in terms of excitement which I think it does um but in terms of wow we're going to have to live up to this lot uh, to, to this lot's expectation what they what that you want from us so I think it's two fronts and that was an interesting you always watch look at the players in the eye when they run out and they're, they're in the lineup before the game I think not this not this home game but the one before that like um, the crowd was, you know, it was noisy. It was atmospheric. The flags were going, and Mig- Miggy Almiron kind of just dug Sean Longstaff in in his ribs and went and went. This, and I, I, you couldn't see what he said, but it was something. Like, this is great. Look at this, you know. And you could see the players were were feeding off it, which is really great to see. Um, and I think any any team now coming to St James's thinks that's going. This is going to be really tough, and they're not beaten before the start because they they'll have a tactical plan and all that. But when you get into the depths of a game in the 50th minute and Newcastle are still running at you, still pressing you hard, it just becomes too much. And, and that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what Villa succumbed to at the weekend. Yeah, I think, I mean, War Flags, the job they've done, it, they have turned it into an occasion, you know, pre-game. And I think, you know, especially when the players get the individual flags and you can see them looking up, we know how much it means to them. And I think I always go back to that Arsenal game last, last May when War Flags, that was probably their best ever display, obviously from the first minute. Newcastle just sort of fed off that. And I think there was one game this season, obviously, I think it was Palace or Bournemouth, whichever one was just after the Queen's death. And for obvious reasons, there wasn't any flags, but it was a huge miss because actually the game started quite flat and, you know, Newcastle players sort of weren't at the same tempo that they usually are um, when when they have these displays. Let's talk about the game then. So first half on Saturday, um, you know, the rain was obviously pouring, you know, pretty heavily before the game. Neither side could really get a grip in the early stages. And it sort of reminded me a bit of those games where earlier in the season we've seen at home and Newcastle were struggling in front of goal and, you know, just struggling to find that sort of killer pass in, in the last um, sort of final third of the pitch. What did you make of the start on Saturday? I thought it was really even. And it was like you were sitting there thinking, this is a nice test. I mean, Villa clearly had a, you know, they won the last game 4 0 despite some pretty poor form that got Gerard sacked. And they they were good down the flanks with Bailey Bailey and Buendia was very slippery, and Ings was buzzing around. And I think they got in a couple of times down the with their front three down down the edges. And there was one amazing tackle by was it Botman or was it Shaw? Yeah. I can't remember on yeah. on, on Buendia, which basically saved the goal. Uh, and that was kind of one of the turning points of, of the game. So it did look like Villa were 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 up for it and on it and slippery and and fast and. It was they were Newcastle were getting stretched a little bit, um, which was quite nice to see the way they just dug in there, and then obviously the, the, with the time wasting and well, not the time wasting, the serious head injury it turned out, yeah. <laughs> um, which delayed the game by ten minutes and ten minutes of uh, injury time, and they got the pen. They got as soon as they got that penalty, it did look like Villa's heads went, and Newcastle regrouped a bit in the first in the at half time, and just slaughtered them second half. That first fifteen. 20 minutes of the, of the second half were, was brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone rocking. Villa had no time to think on the ball and Newcastle got in there and scored three. So. Yeah, there's, there's a brilliant stat that I've seen and that's Newcastle haven't actually conceded in the, conceded in the first half since Wolves. Um, you know, they're really, really hard now to sort of get ahead of. You know, Newcastle are often the team that are taking the lead and you touched on it there, that back four, that's just become so solid. You know, big tackle from Burn to deny Buendia. I think there was another one from Trip yes soon after um you know Nick Pope hasn't really had a lot to do has he in the last couple of games at home and um 
this back four, we on this podcast we discussed a couple of weeks ago, does Target come back in? But this looks like it's the most settled it's ever been in a long time, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I think the, the only debate for fans really at the minute is whether, like you say, Target comes in for, for Dan Byrne. And at times, like this Saturday as well, and I think against Spurs, sometimes Dan Byrne gets a bit stretched when he gets turned mm-hmm. um, pace-wise. But the beauty of the Newcastle side is, you know, he, he gets protected. as is Willock or Joe Linton's in there and, and people are covering across. But I think where, where it really works is that you've got Trippier who is really attacking-minded and can add to the midfield and become a winger almost. And when he's doing his stuff up the right and pushing on, it becomes a back three. And then back Dan Byrne effectively becomes like a, um, a left-sided centre back, which is probably his, which is obviously his best position. And he played for Brighton in a, I think a back three, is left side of a, of a three defensive um, defensive unit as well. So it kind of works in that way. I think obviously if you brought Target in or another left back, which might be one of the targets in the in the next couple of windows, um, you might get you know if you get another trip here on the left, it would be devastating and be unbelievable. Um, but but target but you know I think the balance that that you've got with as long as Trippier can get forward and they go to a back three that kind of works and, and stays solid uh, and but also Dan Byrne if you watch him closely just spend ten minutes just watching him he's even when the ball's not near him he's being really aggressive with the people he's marking and he's bumping them and he's niggling them and he mm-hmm. walks a really fine line with the refs but if you're getting marked by Dan Byrne you're getting a kick up the backside every two minutes and it must be really awful to play against him. So mm-hmm. I think he adds that kind of pressure and, and, and aggression in defence, um, which is really important, where, whereas Matt Target probably probably doesn't. Uh, but yeah, he, I, he yeah, I think, you know, the game against Manchester United, Anthony was really, really testing Dan Byrne. And those are the games where he gets caught out when he's got sort of a, a tricky winger to face. And I think that's... Probably the positive target is that he probably deals with those types of players better. Um, but they're certainly looking settled at the minute. And I think, you know, going into the World Cup, it's hard to see that change. And I think I think most fans would agree. Wilson obviously scores the penalty then, very well taken um, before getting his second goal. The thing that really, really baffles me about Callum Wilson is we all know how good he is, but he had two really bad ACL injuries at Bournemouth, which usually one of those would hamper a career. Every couple of months, you know, he picks up these hamstring problems, but they just never keep him down. And how he comes back all these times and keeps scoring it is just remarkable. And I think Eddie Howe's got a real headache on his hands when Alexander Isak comes back with what he does um, in terms of changing the, the setup, or does he, you know, move Isak on the right? He's got to be knocking on that door now for an England spot next month, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, Callum Wilson is, uh, he's like so, he's been, his strike record for Newcastle is remarkable. I think it's, Six goals in nine starts this this year, and you know he's probably up in there. I mean, Harry Kane's going to go to the World Cup. Um, Dominic Calvert Lewin's been in and around it more than more than Callum Wilson has, uh, and he's been through the under twenty ones under Southgate as well. So there's kind of like uh, there's kind of things going against him there, but he's fit and he's scoring goals, and he's a massive handful and can lead the line probably more so than Calvert Lewin at the minute. And I think it might be it's a really interesting shootout between the two of them. In the next couple of weeks, to see who who can get goals. Callum Wilson gets another couple of goals. As Gareth Southgate, if you're sitting there as Gareth Southgate, you can't ignore his claim to to go there as a replacement lead centre forward for for Harry Kane. I mean, he's only got four caps. I think Wilson. He scored one goal, um, but he definitely deserves it. And he and he's doing a brilliant job of. He said the other day, like he's not going to talk himself into the England squad. Only goals will do. But he's doing a great job of selling himself. He's speaking after most games when he's in London and 
on Saturday as well after the game. And he's, he he comes across, and we don't know him well because we're not, we've not sat down with him for lengthy periods, but mm-hmm. he seems like a really, um, a really dedicated character. Even if he gets an injury, he'll not cut corners. He'll come back stronger. That's what he'll set his, set his goals for. Um, and he, he's one of those like athletes who you kind of speak to him and he's got like a tunnel vision to to get the best out of himself and not to let a team down and to really deliver. And you don't meet, you meet some footballers, and, you know, you, you're not sure about their mentality, but he seems to have like a grade A, you know, 100% pro mentality to be at the top and get and stay at the top, which is quite interesting to see. And uh, and he's, he's, he's obviously a very strong character as well to have around him. Um, and also a very smiley, happy character as well. Every time we speak to him, he he comes across as you know he has a joke and he laughs at other other people's jokes. And he's you know you, you can imagine lifting a place. You feel better when you've spoken to him or when he's around you. So he's one of those characters that would be good to have in a squad, even if he's not playing. I think because he'd be living his dream. He's told he's mm-hmm. told Eddie Howe it's his childhood dream to go to a World Cup. Um, and fingers crossed. I really hope he does. I mean, selfishly, Newcastle will be hoping he has a week on a beach as a rest and comes you know, strengthens and comes back strong in December. But yeah. you'd like our own players, Newcastle's own players, to, to be doing well for England. Well, this this was my next question, really, because we've spoke to Eddie Howe, we've asked him about Wilson and if he wants him to go. Do you think there's just a little bit of Eddie Howe that's thinking he doesn't get the call up just so we can back him in Cottonwell for a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's good for the club. Um, I think Eddie Howe would see the positives in if Newcastle has got a striker at the World Cup, if other people who he's looking at in January or in the summer see this, there's Bruno there and there's Pope there, and the more players Newcastle have at the World Cup, the more people, more other countries are going to see or other big players are going to see Newcastle on the map. So it'll be good in terms of the future of the club. And I think probably the owners want him there and that kind of thing. But if he's not picked, I mean, he'll be devastated and disappointed. But you can imagine him set, resetting his targets and thinking, right, I'm going to get 15 goals before the end of the season and, mm. you know, proving what they, prove what they missed um, mm. and, and do it for Newcastle. Yeah, I think I would have to agree with you. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the beach, but it, it is, like you say, a big dream of his. And there's a brilliant article of that he did in 2017 when he was um, in rehab in, in Doha and Qatar. And he sort of said, in five years' time, I'm going to be back here with England. So on that, on that side of it, you really do hope that he does get there. So I guess he, he got the brace on, on Saturday. Newcastle wasted no time getting their third goal, which essentially killed the game, really. Um, Joe Linton scoring after after Wilson's shot. Another player who was obviously trying to impress a manager in the stands with TA there. It feels with Joe Linton that, yes, you know, his transformation's been fantastic. He's had an amazing 12 months at Randy Howe. But that quality of the Brazil team that he's trying to get in is, is something, you know, a different level. And, there's a feeling that maybe might have left it too late. Do you think to get them that World Cup squad? Well, we spoke to him after the after the game, and that that was exactly words. He, I mean, he, obviously Bruno went out with Tite, the Brazilian manager, for a steak on uh, yeah, on, on Friday. Yeah. There was pictures of that happening, and we all saw that picture and thought, oh, Joe Linton get didn't get the invite. <laughs> surely you could have. <laughs> surely even if you're not going to pick him, you could have taken him out for a steak. But um, yeah, that was a bit unfortunate, and that kind of indicates that he's on the fringe and he's not had a call up yet. And with 19 days to go, you do, you do wonder whether his, his chance has gone. Um, but there's, you know injuries can happen, and I think like physicality-wise, if if that's the kind of game Brazil are going to play, Joe Linton is up there with the best. He's charging around in a team that's fourth in the Premier League, battering people and never stops running. And it, 
you know, he's been a brilliant combative midfielder for Newcastle and up the left side, and he can play a bit further forward as well. Um, adds to the team off the ball massively. So, it dep- I mean, I'm not an expert on Brazil's midfield, and I can imagine it being very technical. And maybe Joe Linton hasn't got the the kind of silky passing technical stuff that that some of his rival rivals have got. And there was one you could tell he was maybe a bit nervous in the in the opening. Opening minutes of the game on Saturday, where he, he had he got the ball out wide, kind of in Newcastle's half, and he played an awful pass straight straight to a Villa player, and we few of us had our head in his hands going, "Oh no, that's his World Cup gone." But he did improve, and he got he got more into the game and got his goal, which was good. So it would be nice to see Joe Linton there. I think it's probably a long shot for him, but at least he's been watched and scored in front of the Brazil manager, and for the future, maybe he can. Maybe he can get in there. But, I mean, people say at the club he's got a really high pain threshold and he's always got like, niggling injuries and they think he might be out for a game. But somehow they just put a bit of strapping on him and, you know, what what look, what look might be a painful injury for, for some players, Joe Linton just plays through like an absolute beast. You know, he, he's, he's amazing. So um, maybe a week maybe a week or two to rest would be good for him and, for, you know, get him back in December the 26th or the cup game, hopefully. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of those players and he's just a bit of a battering ram in the middle of the field and he's thrown himself in at tackles that he probably shouldn't be and he has always seemed to be picking up little knocks. Um, he's picked up, you know, his fifth yellow card. It means he misses the Southampton game at the weekend. Um, it poses, you know, another question for Eddie Howe as to what he does with that midfield. Sean Longstaff, you know, Howe was asked after the game if he thought that was his best performance um, under Howe. A few fans, you know, on social media probably didn't agree, and he, he gets a lot of stick, long stuff. But he had a good game on Saturday, didn't he? He did. I mean, there was one time where I mean, the one thing that might someone walked past the press box actually, a fan, and said, "I hope you're giving long stuff a four after a four nil <laughs> win." And he's just run about twelve k and run his legs off, closing people down, and had a great game. So I don't, know, never, I don't know how you can keep lots of fans happy even after a four nil four nil win. So I'm hoping that was a minority opinion because Longstaff was literally everywhere the other day. If you look at his look at his heat maps and where he had his ball touches, and it was literally the entire pitch that he was that he was covering. Um, and he's been he's really come on under Eddie Howe. Um, I think on the ball you might want him to be a bit better and a bit more creative, but you're not going to get the complete player. You know, like Bruno, you can't knock off the ball, can you? He's, he's unbelievable. Longstaff is definitely worth his place in that anchoring three at the minute. Um, uh, Joe Linton's been playing a bit higher up, hasn't he? So if, if Joe Linton's coming out of the team um, and maybe out the, kind of out the front three, you would maybe look at Sam Max coming back or maybe Jacob Murphy filling that role. Willock coming back in with Longstaff and Bruno mm-hmm. to be the three, the anchoring three in midfield. And that's probably what you would expect to happen. Um, might be too early for for Shelby to start a game. Um, I'd be nursing him back still. Yeah. So I would probably say for an away game, with his kind of solid attitude, Jacob Murphy might step in for Joel Linton on at Southampton initially, and then you've got Shelby can come on, Willett can push up, or you've got Sam Max to come on. And um, if that doesn't quite work out, yeah, so, I think there's a few nice options. Yeah, there is, and it's a nice headache for how to have and. You know, listeners of this podcast will know that me and Andrew sometimes disagree about Longstaff and, you know, I'm very defensive of him because of what he does off the ball. I think, you know, there's no better midfielder that presses like he does. And and I think it's good to see that he's actually starting to get some plaudits after Saturday because I think he has been brilliant. And I think I would agree with you. That is probably the, the three I'd go with at Southampton. I think Murphy, you know, showed enough in the last couple of games. I thought he looked quite lively on Saturday. Um, I think especially as they want to try and, as you say, nurse Shelby and, St Max back slowly before the before the World Cup. 
it's 20 minutes in and we haven't spoke about the man of the moment and that is Miguel Amron. He obviously added the fourth and final goal. Um, he's having a goal of the month competition just among himself, really. We've been in the office today picking out four or five of his strikes that are probably worthy of it. You've got to probably go back a long way to see, you know, I mean, beyond Joel, and a, quite a transformation like it at Newcastle, given what we've seen in the last six games. Yeah, I mean, when he... He always looked a bit like a headless chicken when he first signed. You know? like he, he was like he was quick enough. He was definitely quick enough. He was a big enough pest to defenders to be in that position, but you never got the end product. So he always he was a he reminded me a bit like a smaller, quicker Gutierrez in that he could get the ball and he could hair up field with it and be like a pressure reliever to the t- to the team to the team. But you never saw the polish at the end of the pitch, which you probably needed. Maybe and a lot of people thought, well, you, you only signed it. We only signed him for twenty million. Maybe you don't get that with a with a twenty million pound player from the MLS. But um, I think every player has his moment, especially when. And I think you know you were also being judging him in a team which was a defensive minded, had thirty percent worth of possession, and were banked up, banked up, you know, behind the ball against mm-hmm. teams for two, three seasons. So you, you're judging an attacker in that kind of team, and now we're judging him in an Eddie Howe team where it's front foot. They're 30, 40 yards further up the pitch. They're pressing defenders in their own box in, in threes and fours. Um, and so that's a whole new mindset. And and he's probably, I don't know, you, you would need to find the, I mean, the stats guys at Newcastle will have it all, but where he gets the ball and positions he receives it in, they're probably like, he's probably getting it in 10 times more dangerous positions than and 10 times more in, yeah. uh, in, in a game than he was, you know, a year ago. And therefore the chances are easier Although he has scored some spectacular ones, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. And that one, that one against Villa, we were right behind him, and he just got that little bit of space on his left foot and just passed it into the top corner. It, it, it was like effortless. Now the one thing that amazes me with like opposition sides coming up against Almiron, you just show him down the line when he's running up the right wing. Mm-hmm. You show him down the line. He hasn't got. A, he hasn't got a right yeah. foot. He can never whip it in with his right foot. So I don't know how these teams aren't spotting it, but. You know, he should be easier to marshal than he is, but then he comes inside and he's giving people problems. And I don't know, maybe he's too quick and they can't stop him. Maybe he's mm-hmm. just uh, got superpowers that we don't know of. <laughs> well, it's it's another disagreement me and Andrew have had over the last couple of months because he's been. I mean, Hale will tell you, and he, he tells everybody, he tells everybody on this podcast a lot um, that he's always believed in Miggy and he's always been in the fan club, even when others were doubting him. And that was one of my big gripes was that he would he's playing as a right winger and he can't use his right foot. But I think what he's done in the last couple of weeks has sort of silenced quite a few um, people, including myself. Um, you touched on it there. He just used to sort of pick up the ball and run into blind channels and, you know, with no real purpose. Now he's just full of confidence. He's, he's picking the right passes, the right moves. And I think Bruno and Trippi have really helped him, you know, down that right. They work very well as a three. Um which of the four goals then, well, which of the six goals, I should say, do you think would win that goal of the month competition? It's got to be Fulham for me, I think, that volley. The one where it was chipped over the top and he was at a funny angle and he, he should have really taken it on his right foot. Yeah, Fulham. But he took it on his left foot. And, I mean, I'm, I'd like to know what kind of contact he really got on that. It maybe it looked like he rolled down his shin a bit, but <laughs> maybe, I don't know, we, we'll never know. I mean, he'll claim it hit his, it was a clean strike, but that from the angles that were involved and the left foot twistiness of the shot he had to get in and to keep it under the bar. And, you know, I thought that was a, that was a, a really big skill to, to pull that off. It was, it was mm-hmm. really good. The one, the other one, I think you would score more. The one this weekend 
um, against Villa, where he cut inside and passed it to the top corner. You'd like to see him doing like that five times a year because it's right up his street if he gets a yard of yard of freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one was a was a freaky goal. It was a real great skill. So probably mm-hmm. that one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think that one or the, the Everton one where he just lifts another pick for those two are the, the best yeah. of the bunch for me. Um, one more question on Miggy, and that is, you know, we've spoke to Eddie Howe about it and a lot has been made of the Grealish comments. Howe yeah. insists that, you know, there's no ammunition there. He's, he doesn't think about it. Do you agree with that or do you think, you know, that's part of his motivation this season? Uh, you, if Training grounds as they are and dressing rooms, they'll have seen that. And they might have had a laugh and thought there may be an element of truth in this, but they've all thought, but they'll have also thought, and, I'm, and I hope Miggy has also thought, that's really a little bit insulting from a player mm-hmm. who's had a couple of beers and is on a stage and saying yeah. he's had an Almir on. It's it's a from professional to prefer, professional, it's not a nice thing to do, and it, it's quite rare. That's why we talk about it so much. It's quite rare that that actually happens in football that someone actually makes a sarcastic comment about a fellow pro. Um, but it did have a little grain of truth in, and the things that hurt you most, the insults that hurt you most, are the ones that have got a grain of truth in. And I would think that he, uh, and he looked great in Austria when we went to pre-season training, and he looked sharp and fit and determined. I, I think that's probably been on his mind. Um, there's also a clip from I think it's the summer friendlies in June when, when Paraguay players were like chasing Grealish and trying to give him a kick in, in a certain yeah. game. There's a, there's, a, there's a good clip on, on YouTube as well. So I, it's definitely got around football and it's definitely in, in Miggy's head. Now, what we need to do is ask him about it, but his English, he walks by, by us with his baby and his wife in every mixed zone at St. James's Park, smiling and waving and he won't stop and speak. And the first thing we want to ask him is, what's your message to Jack Grealish now? Yeah. And he's not answered that question yet. And one, one day he'll have to. Um, hopefully, I think um, I think he pretends, well, doesn't he, that he doesn't know English, but he's been here for yeah. years. And I think if Bruno can learn it in, in eight months, I think he he certainly can. Yeah, um, just before we go, we've got some comments here. Um, a lot of people asking about January, and I think that's the question now is, you know, what do they do in January? Do they go for one or two more of, of real quality to try and aid this European push, or do you think that Eddie Howe is going to want to keep this group pretty much as settled as it is now? Well, the first thing to say is um, they've, they've got the power to dry in terms of Isaac's hardly played for them so far. So they've got a £60 million man to, when he's when he's healed, to do the pre-season um, before the December relaunch. So they've got him to come back he'll, and he'll be fresh and, and hopefully hungry. And anyhow, you, can, you trust him to get a, a way of working him into the team, which, which is going to be really good. So we've got him to come back. And then there's Sam Max, who's been out for so long, who, you know, get him a couple of games now before the break and then really push him physically so that he's on it. So there's two players already coming back to add to that side, which might well get injuries. So that's good news. And Shelby too, who can sit in for Bruno or add to Bruno. So there's three players who have not, who hardly figured who are really top-notch players who to come back. But, you know, you've got an opportunity this season, which you might not have. Liverpool are having a, having a stinker at the moment. Uh, Manu are rebuilding. Chelsea are wobbly and in transition. Uh, West Ham, who got seventh last year, are have dipped. So there's the seasons that come around. The World Cup's going to disrupt, and I think Newcastle will be disrupted less by the World Cup than a lot of the other. They're, they're kind of top four rivals now. Um, so I, I do think there's an opportunity there, and if there are if there's players to get, then and if they can they can do it. Then I don't think anyone's going to be loaning them any top quality players. For, put it that way, because they're now too much of a threat. 
if they can put decent money and get someone, get one or two in in January, that'll be great. We did ask Eels about this, the chief executive, Darren Eels, when he did his first introductory chat about three weeks ago. And he was saying, uh, and also Dan Ashworth, and they were saying it's a bad, we all know, it's a bad time to sign. Yeah. Prices are a bit inflated. Um, and you know, it depends if teams that they want to sign from are dropping out of the Champions League or have money money problems. So, you know, there's that. They might want another power midfielder. They might want, if the one became available, a top-notch left-back. Uh, they might want a winger, another winger. But if you've got Isaac coming back, playing off Wilson, you know, you 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 need three or four players on your bench who who are really really annoyed not to be playing for, playing mm-hmm. in the first team and who are top notch and worth a lot of money. Newcastle have got that at the minute. I think they'll want to add, but um, they this they say they haven't got a lot of money. Do we believe that? I mean, we we kind of believed it at the end of last year, and then they spent another hundred million. They say two hundred million in a year. Is, unsus- is an unsustainable spend. Well, it probably is, but at some point, extra, you know, money's going to kick in from sponsorship deals next summer. So mm-hmm. if you can get a player now, you do it now. And next summer, the Saudis pump in a sponsorship deal for fair value, and that fair value now is going to be sky high compared with what the what sponsorships are paying paid for now at Newcastle. Because if they can get in the top six, they can point to Man City or Liverpool and say they're sponsored to the tune of 200 million, 100 million by Emirates, whatever the figures are. Mm-hmm. And Newcastle's sponsorship deal could go up tenfold if the Saudis wanted to. And that's how they're going to get money into this club. So other clubs have done it. Newcastle are probably going to do it. Fair enough. Um, so that's what we're looking at in the summer. They might have a lot more money to spend in the summer. Um, I, I think they'll definitely be looking to, to freshen it up in, in January. And even though they say they haven't got the money, somehow it will be found and um, deals will be structured long-term. And mm-hmm. the longer the contract and the younger the player and all that kind of stuff really helps to the, for the financial fair play. Also, mm-hmm. they're going to have to sell a little bit as well. I think there might be two or three, yeah. get off the wage bill, get out for a few million just to just to help things along. Yeah, I think they're certainly in a good position. If they can go into this World Cup break in the top four and mm-hmm. say to the owners, look, if we can just get one or two more over the line, you know, they've got a real chance now. Now, for those not watching live, Simon has just said, you've done sort of air quotes there when he said top four rivals. And this leads to the last question that I've got for you. And that is Pep Guardiola obviously touched on it last week. He said Newcastle United are contenders um, for the top four. Eddie Howe, of course, we know him. He's, he's never going to you know, put any pressure on like that. Realistically now, given the start, where do you think the club one will finish and where do you think you know their targets will be now? I think they're very capable of finishing in the top seven, like minimum. I think so. I think they'll be disappointed actually after this start if they finish below seventh, right? So that's like the now that's the that would have been brilliant otherwise, right? But with this start that they've done, I think seventh would be lower than seventh would be a disappointment. I think seventh would be, I'd say, par for the course from, from the start they've had. Fair enough, seventh. And I think a few would be disappointed with that, but I don't think they should be. Seventh would be an amazing leap. I think they can finishing the top six. I think they can just upset one of the one of the established elite, despite their turnovers being three times of Newcastle and their wage bills being three times Newcastle. Um, the relentlessness to finish in the top four, that you need to keep winning and put put six, seven, eight wins in a row together to, to finish in the top four. I, I think that's really tough to do. But, I mean, the way they're playing now, they're winning games and 
they're on the they're not, they don't even look they clearly are busting a gut but the system is so good it almost looks routine and there doesn't mm-hmm. look to be any fluke about the way the team is set up and they all know their jobs and they're physically on it and they're scoring goals and they're not conceding they're really tough to play against there's no reason why that can't continue uh, in through December January when others have distractions of Champions League and, and cup games and all that no reason, no reason we can't continue. So it's possible that they can get four, top four. And now we're kind of used to, because of the money in the game and the way the Premier League's been teased out and it's the same top six and there's a bit of a fight between the different positions. We, we're not used to the Premier League surprising us, but there was an interesting comment from who was either Eels or Ashworth when we spoke to them in the boardroom saying, well, there's always the Leicester City season. You know, Leicester City, no one expected that to happen in a similarly disrupted season when other teams are rebuilding. Mm-hmm. You never know what's going to happen. Now, Leicester won the league. So if Leicester can win the league at 5,001, Newcastle can get in the Champions League at much reduced, much reduced odds to that. So there's, there's, there is, it is possible that Newcastle can finish in the top four. You'll not get anyone talking about it at Newcastle because they don't want to set themselves up for a fall. They don't want to set expectations too high. This is like a this is meant to be a sustainable, steady building project <laughs> last year when they took over. And sustainable and steady was not going from relegation, bottom three this time last year, to top four. That's ludicrous. And what's happening is ludicrous. But it's not ludicrous when you see them play and you see the system and the commitment and the dedication and the planning and the, the detail that's going into it and the, the completely united hunting as a pack thing that Newcastle have got at the minute. It's not ludicrous to think that they could finish in the top top four and it's quite exciting this season because of that and it's a joy to cover <laughs> it is and it, it makes a change i think you know you're pretty much spot on there i think now you know that the targets will have changed slightly from the start of the season and i think you know it would sort of be a disappointment now for a drop out known european games you know to sort of hold them back as other teams will um but as you say it's just it's just a pleasure to finally be covering a, covering a club that are in this uh, position. Thanks very much, Simon, for coming on. Thank you, everyone who has watched us live and also listening later. Um, please do continue to share out the podcast. We'll have plenty more this week, including Gibbo's Gibbo's preview against Southampton. For now, thank you very much, and we'll speak to you again very soon. <laughs>